Hi, I'm uh, Gavin Giovanni. I'm recording this MSLP podcast from these uh, from Denver in uh, Colorado. I've just arrived um, for the CMSC meeting. Um, starting tomorrow is the mentoring program, and then the conference actually starts on Wednesday. Some of you may know that tomorrow is International uh, MS Day, or depending where you are in the world and you listen to this, uh, it's on the 30th of May. And the theme this year is Connections. Um, and MS Connections is a program about building community connections, uh, self-connection, and connections with good quality MS care. I would urge you to uh, go on to the MS, International MS Day uh, website uh, to read about the uh, program. I'm going to talk to you today about uh, a connected issue, which is social isolation and loneliness. And um, the thought came to me on my flight over when I was reading the Journal of a Disappointed Man. This is the journal written by WNP Barbellion. And although this book was recommended to me more than a decade ago, it's taken me this long to uh, purchase a copy and actually read it. And it's a, a remarkable uh, read. It tells you firsthand how bad multiple sclerosis can be if it's left to its own devices. In other words, if you let it run its natural course. And essentially, this journal um, documents decline and failed ambition uh, of an individual with the disease, not for lack of trying, but because of the unpredictable impact of multiple sclerosis has um, in terms of its symptoms and inevitable physical and mental decline. And just to quote um, Barbellion from the book, suffering does not only insulate, it drops its victim in an ocean desert where he sees men as distant ships passing. I not only feel alone, but very far away from you all. And that kind of captures the essence of the loneliness he felt having this disease. And the final entry is just a simple uh, two-letter self-disgust and uh, the journal end, comp, uh, ends declaring that Barbellion died two months later on the 31st of December 1917. Now, as we subsequently found out that Barbellion was a pseudonym for Bruce Cummings, um, who actually lived another two years and died in October 1919 when he was 30 years of age. And that's the tragedy of this book, is how young this obviously very talented and brilliant person was. Uh, and I'd urge you to read it because he had so much ambition to be a zoologist um, and how MS cut his uh, career and life short. Um, the journal will be a very challenging read. <laughs> but what this does illustrate is that multiple sclerosis is a very isolating disease. And not only does it shred relationships but impacts physical and cognitive functioning. It's associated with fatigue, depression, and anxiety. And as a result of all these inputs, it leaves you feeling lonely and isolated. And there's now a mounting evidence base that both social isolation and loneliness uh, should be defined as diseases or at least social diseases, uh, and they are associated with really poor outcomes and premature death or mortality across many medical specialties. Mm. Um, the reason why this happens probably because both social isolation and loneliness are biological stressors and activate a stress response. And we now know that people who live with a chronic stress response uh, have downstream consequences 
that impacts health, uh, general health. Both social isolation and loneliness are also highly predictive of mental health problems, particularly anxiety and depression. And as a result of this, this has impacts on healthcare. It costs medical insurance companies, and when you have socialized care, it governments a lot of money. And this is why governments are now exploring uh, policies to try and tackle social isolation and loneliness at a population level. And this is particularly relevant uh, in countries uh, like the UK that have abandoned the extended family for the nuclear family. And also we have a rapidly aging population, so we're finding an increasing number of old people who are living on, living on their own and are lonely and isolated. Um, it's, it's really a tragedy because in cultures where we still have the extended family, in other words, three or more generations living under the same roof, uh, older, older people are, 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 have a, have a, um, are not only looked after by the younger generation, but also help look after the, after the children and they have a purpose in life. So um, it's a real great pity that modern societies, um, as they evolved and became more affluent, abandoned the extended family because in cultures with extended families, social isolation and loneliness is less of a problem. Anyway, we've got what we've got now. And the UK, for example, has set out a loneliness strategy. They put out a white paper in 2018 with three overarching objectives, which uh, will hopefully try and set a framework for tackling loneliness in the UK. And the first objective is to reduce the stigma of social isolation and loneliness by building a national conversation on loneliness so that people feel able to talk about loneliness and reach out for help. The second one is to drive a lasting shift so that relationships and loneliness are considered in policy making and delivery by organizations across society supporting and amplifying the impact of the organizations connecting people. And finally, the third objective is to play a part in improving the evidence base on loneliness, making a compelling case for action to ensure everyone has the information they need to make informed decisions through the through challenging times. So although there is a, a, a loneliness strategy, uh, we have yet to see what it delivers in terms of policy, uh, funding for research, uh, and new initiatives to try and tackle loneliness. Now, speaking as a healthcare professional, um, I, I can't undiagnose or even soften the diagnosis of MS or change the diagnosis of MS. Um, and because MS is so stigmatizing uh, um, and has a lot of consequences for relationships, um, it does. Uh, uh, it is probably one of the primary drivers of loneliness and social isolation in people with the disease. However, as MS treatments are becoming more effective, I think the stigma associated with having MS will lessen. In other words, more and more people will be treated and maintain employment, maintain their relationships, and not become socially isolated or lonely. Well, that is the. Uh, um, well, that is my hypothesis that what will happen as we develop more and more effective therapies. Um, therefore, I think the number one rule to counteract social isolation and loneliness is for healthcare professionals like myself to manage MS proactively and realistically. Now, as part of the holistic management of MS, healthcare professionals should identify or at least ask about social isolation and loneliness in clinical practice and manage it when they detect it. In other words, treat it like a, another MS-related symptom. And so um, I think if you are listening or reading this uh, MS selfie, you, you need to ask yourself, am I socially isolated? 
uh, and or am I uh, lonely? Now, as with all symptoms, researchers have developed various scales to measure or quantify social isolation and loneliness. Um, and I would uh, suggest you go through the two I put on the in the, in the newsletter. Um, the first is the Lubbin Social Network Scale. And this is a self-reported scale. I've given you the 12-item one, but you can also do the shorter six-item scale. And then there's a UCLA loneliness scale, which is a 20-item scale. These would take literally a minute each to complete. Um, I don't think the values are that important, but I think it would make you reflect on your own um, relationships uh, and maybe ask yourself, you know, do I need some help? I'm personally very sick and tired of... Uh, using apps and wearable devices and other metrics to measure my or quantify my life. I think there's going to be a, a, a reaction to all these measurements, uh, in, not in, in the not too distant future. And you spend more time measuring things than actually living. So, um, but anyway, this is just another two scales that you can apply to yourself um, to find out how you're doing, or at least ask yourself the questions, the relevant questions about social isolation and loneliness. Now, I don't personally have an issue with recognizing social isolation and loneliness and using the scales to try and quantify the problem. But the question I need to ask, do people with MS who are identified by using these scales as being socially isolated or lonely need an intervention? I mean, some people choose to be alone and de deliberately isolating themselves. You know, I personally sometimes enjoy being home alone. I'm not saying I like being home alone all the time, but you know, sometimes having time to yourself to think, reflect, meditate, exercise, whatever you do is is uh, fulfilling, rewarding, and rejuvenating. Uh, and I know a lot of people, I wouldn't say a lot, but I know some people who like living that way. They just don't like living with people. Um, therefore, I think it's probably wrong to assume that all people who score, have low scores on these two scales, have a you know, should be identified as having a problem that needs addressing. And so this is why I think people with MS need to self-identify uh, loneliness and social isolation and, and bring it to their attention if they think it's a problem. Uh, I don't know if you agree with this position or maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think we should be too interventionalist uh, when it comes to finding hidden symptoms in people with MS. But if you do feel you are lonely or socially isolated and you think it's a problem, I think you should inform your healthcare professional and ask them for help. Now, this may generate problems. Sometimes things I say on MS Selfie do generate problems because most healthcare professionals who work in MS are in secondary or tertiary medical centers and don't necessarily have the skills or resources to manage loneliness and social isolation. Uh, in comparison, primary care physicians, so these will be general practitioners or family doctors, people working in psychiatry, and people working in care of the elderly or geriatrics, these are the three uh, areas where they have referral pathways and services to address uh, these problems. However, not having uh, direct access to these services doesn't mean I can't highlight the issue and at least signpost to you. Uh, to relevant services, and I think this should be something that should be incorporated into MS practice. So um, a short message, if you are a healthcare professional and you want more information, um, I would suggest reading the recent perspective that was published in the England Journal of Medicine. 
uh, on social isolation and loneliness as medical issues. It highlights the evidence base and gives some basic advice and screening uh, tools for dealing with this problem. Um, I've looked online and I can't find a lot of MS-specific research and guidance on social isolation or loneliness, but I suspect this will change. You know, as the governments of the world and WHO push for uh, resources to tackle this problem, I suspect more research will be done into uh, MS specifically. Uh, and it looks like the UK government will ring fence money uh, for research into social isolation and loneliness, uh, obviously with a, um, um, an objective of delivering a new evidence base uh, to show that we can actually manage this problem. There is little doubt, though, that the NHS uh, and preventative health physicians have identified social isolation and loneliness as a, um, a reversible social determinant of health. And I think that's important because once we identify it as something that impacts on health outcomes, uh, then it should actually be addressed by the healthcare professionals. Um, in addition to that, the NHS has put, I think it's quite, I think it's about 500 million pounds and not an insignificant investment into social prescribing to try and identify and manage the problem. Now, at present, uh, the social prescribing budget is community-based, essentially controlled by the general practitioners. Uh, however, we have been able to contact the social prescribing network in Hackney and they've kindly agreed to receive direct referrals from our team. So there is a, a, a little bit of light on the horizon. We don't have to then write a letter to the GP and ask the GP to do the referral. We can make the referral directly. Okay, this speeds up time. But I think in future, social prescribing should be one of the NHS services that allows self-referrals. I mean, this would make most sense and help uh, block the bottleneck that tends to be clinicians, particularly general practitioners, in terms of accessing NHS services. So I hope the NHS um, identifies that uh, people should be able to self-refer into these services. So what is social prescribing? Well, it's not rocket science. Um, you know, this is just a way of prescribing activities that are not medical interventions uh, to try and reduce the burden or whatever problem the patient's having. It could be uh, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, health, health or lifestyle issues, or uh, in, this in this case, social isolation and loneliness. And things that are on the list of social prescribing include book clubs for reading, exercise, sports, music, arts and crafts, film, uh, gardening clubs, uh, asking, you know, encouraging people to reconnect with their church. Uh, and these are the obvious ones, but there are lots more that you can come up with as well. And the social providers of these activities have to be um, approved. Um, uh, to receive payment, but there are an increasing number of them now uh, entering this. They tend to be community-based, non-profit type organizations that run these uh, activities. <clears throat> I actually think it's got nothing to do with the activity. Um, the activity obviously acts as a motivator for you to attend, but the fact that you meet and socialize with other people uh, improves physical and mental health. Um, I've, you know, several years ago have started recommending social prescribing to my patients with MS 
and I've had mixed results. Many are reluctant to engage. They think it's inappropriate. They're embarrassed. Um, the ones who have engaged have found it very helpful. Uh, as with all medical interventions, or well, this is a social intervention, some of them stick to it and then meet new friends and become it becomes part of their life. And others you know, just go into it for a short period of time and then, then they become non-adherent to it. So this is going to be like all medical interventions. It's going to need some behavioral change to get people to stick to it. But I think over time, social prescribing will become the norm and we will, as healthcare professionals, have to ask about social isolation and loneliness. Now, I'm not doing this MS newsletter to highlight a problem. I think the MS community has highlighted, has highlighted and been aware of this problem of loneliness for decades. And there are many MS communities, both physical, face-to-face -face ones and online ones, that, that exist for the specific reason, to make people connect with each other, uh, to help them. Now, I'm not a card-carrying philosopher or social uh, scientist, but the issue of loneliness and social isolation needs serious attention and deep thought. You know, I am assuming uh, it is a big problem for most people with the disease. I think a recent, well, not that recent now, prior, prior to COVID, the MS Society in the UK, the national survey and found out that three in five, that's 60% of people with multiple sclerosis, were lonely or lonely part of the time. So this is this means the majority of people in MS have a problem with loneliness. Um, you know, maybe we should do a survey at some stage if you think it's necessary to uh, to address this. <clears throat> the question I'm asking you as a community: Do we need to identify it in routine clinical practice? Are uh, healthcare professionals, neurologists, MS nurse specialists, therapists, the best people to screen for this problem to identify it? Um, should we be managing it in routine practice or should we be uh, asking other teams to get involved? Uh, and I think the, the reason why I'm discussing this on MS Selfie, which is about self-management, is what can you do to look after your own social health and, and wellness? And I think you can be proactive. You, know, you don't become lonely or socially isolated overnight. It takes you know, weeks, months, years to, uh, to happen. And is there anything you can do proactively, mindfully, uh, to stop that? And if you have got experiences, please let us know and share them with each other. Now, there is little doubt that social isolation and loneliness are hidden symptoms. They don't just emerge. You have to volunteer them. And the question I'm asking, is this another elephant in the room that we are too scared to address and discuss in clinical practice? I suspect yes but maybe you can let us know your thoughts on this. And finally, if you are new to MS Selfie, I've got uh, two other newsletters um, that I would urge you to uh, read. Um, they discuss this issue of social isolation and social determinants of health and loneliness in, in a different context, and they kind of illustrate uh, different points. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, just to nudge you again, I'm still looking for... I'm always looking for subscribers and donations to make MS Selfie uh, uh, fund itself. Um, and also urge you to um, don't forget to look at the microsite. Because this newsletter will almost certainly end up on the microsite when it gets reworded. Uh,
by a medical writer into a nice, easy-to-read self-management guide. Anyway, enjoy, and I hope we have a lot of discussion and debate about this. And uh, don't forget to uh, phone or text or message or email or visit uh, anybody you think is lonely and socially isolated. It's not just about the individual with the problem. It's also about society making sure these people um, um, have contacts.